0: to the joshua badu podcast don't forget to like comment and subscribe and last but not least enjoy okay and we're live uh Thanks. back again for the first time in a while the coach badu experience i stopped doing these because once the lockdown happened in sydney and I I'm not into Zoom meetings really. Like I like to be there face to face in person, even like people I respect greatly and thought leaders, if they're doing podcasts via Zoom, I just won't really listen to it unless it's like something that I really need to hear. So the reason I'm I'm saying let's jump in again. I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, She's like, Oh, are you still doing your podcast? I'm like, uh yeah, but it's on a pause because um we're in lockdown and she goes oh so you don't want to help people anymore <laughs> and i'm like oh like she was just joking but like she, she and she didn't say it that that like cruelly but she made a good point i was like you know what if there's something that can be of benefit and someone can listen to and be like you know what that kind <clears> of <throat> helped my day in a bit i'm like why not who cares if it's zoom so here we are again we might be a bit a bit rusty but uh this is the coach Baidu experience and today we have a very special guest Ebu Bay Uber, who is a close friend, uh, a trusted um, confidant now in regards to me even trying to see the world and what I, I see happening in the community. And thank you for being here. How are you doing?
1: <laughs> Good. What an introduction.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel, like, I feel like it was a long one. I'm sorry. I was going on a bit of a rant to give some context but, uh, I really appreciate you coming through. Um, Ube is play has so many hats and wears them well as well. Should I say, uh, from being a producer events, coordinator, uh, social media marketer, um, really plays a lot of different roles. And if I'm missing anything, if I'm getting anything wrong, please correct me, but am I hitting it right? yeah yeah <laughs> well let me let you do it because maybe I'm hitting it wrong I want I want to go no, no, as no, much, totally.
1: no. like I feel like I just have like the stupidest grin on my face right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. no but that's 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 basically it I mean like I think I kind of just move through life picking new skills up and experimenting with it and seeing where it takes me and kind of just like yes yeah, Play led me here which is a great place to be
0: yeah no a hundred percent I think you have to be able to kind of uh try out a lot of things and to see what's your fit totally right like um before I was even doing coaching like initially I started off wanting to play basketball like as every child ever um and then I dived into music for a season and before I dived into coaching and like if you ask me now like oh you know what's what do you love like I'll still say all those things like I still do love basketball I still do love music but coaching is the one that like finally had its hold on me so do you look back at your own all the things you've also like dived into is it like what's the one that's really had the strongest hold on you versus the other ones that kind of came and went
1: um yeah I'm I'm like so similar I think yeah I did kind of have that um those humble beginnings where you know as a child you dream big uh I mean for me it was volleyball,
0: like,
1: volleyball. I to, <laughs> yeah right. well it started off it no it started off as volleyball and then moved to like basketball when I joined the basketball team and then netball when I joined the netball team just like no this is where it's at like this is for me yeah and then discovered tennis and discovered Serena Williams when I was like I think uh, 11 or 12 and yeah. I was just like no tennis is for me <laughs> like I am be, <laughs> I am going to be the next Serena Williams Um, but honestly, I think as a child and, um, as we've kind of talked about, um, in our previous conversations as well, that I am a very, I think I, for me, my identity was so fluid in terms of like Mm. what I wanted to do, um, and who I wanted to be. And so, I mean, like my dad got so sick of me just coming up to him like every second day being like, you know what? I think I want to be a chef. <laughs> or like, no, I want to be a fashion designer. Like, no, that's my calling. Um, until and I think like it was all funny games until like you know, year 12 HSC hit, and so you're just like, You need to you need to go. <laughs> better, <together.">
0: be <laughs> <laughs> better be something yeah. by the time you 12 comes around. No, yeah. but that's what look, I feel like that's because there's so many cool jobs and industries in the world right like even now i look around i'm like hmm it would be kind of dope to be an astronaut or it would be kind of dope to be like a, a mad like uh investment uh, investment banker, or whatever like just different things just kind of touch those different nerves in you i remember one of my my earliest um dreams as a child and even when i his heart was so we when i told my friends this they, they looked at me like i was smoking crack like I, I want to be a real estate agent in japan right actually
1: that, that's not bad that's actually that kind of sounds cool
0: yeah it sounds lit by the same time like as a 13 year old young male <laughs> saying going to one of your best friends and be like hey what do you want to be when you're older he's like oh yeah i will play in the nba i'm like i want to be a real estate agent in japan
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, why japan why japan of all places
0: because I, I was raised on anime, I was raised on Dragon Ball Z, right, I was raised on right, all these right. cartoons. I just saw Japanese, Japan, and the Japanese is like such cool, such a cool culture and cool people, and I wanted to like be a part of it. Um, no. so I was like the, the the black guy wanting to be Asian, you know. it's it like a opposite of what you find today, right? So yeah, I told my friend. He went and told his older brother. His older brother looked at him like he was on crack. So he came back to me the next day and said, I told my older brother what you told me. And he gave me a look I've never seen before in my whole life. And then I realized, okay, this is might be a strange... Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I, don't, I think I went through, I went through like an anime phase in year six and seven, because I studied Japanese all through, year, um, all through primary school from year two mm-hmm. to year six. And right. then in year seven as well. And in year seven, I really got into like, you know, taiko drumming and and drawing anime but yeah that kind of just faded
0: yeah but now now it's it's we're, as we're older and uh I feel like I just went took a trip through childhood just then that was kind of fun but yeah so now as we're older we, we we've kind of uh, settled more into where we are now and I think things still can change like I still say to myself like you know what coaching's cool today but you know who knows what your life will be like in say 10 years time 20 years time 30 years yeah, really? time
1: Totally. Um, but I, I, re- I actually realized I didn't exactly answer your question as to, like, what was that one thing that really, like, had a hold on me, right? Yeah. I think um, evidence of what I do today, um, it was the arts that really, like, had that firm grip on me. I mean, like, all through school, all through school I loved English, loved drama, loved art class, like, loved all those things. And, um... It wasn't until, like, I saw my first play. I think I was in year, either year three or four. Saw my first play at, like, the regional theatre in the country town that I used to live in. Mm. And I was just, just so mesmerised by the costumes and, like, just the confidence that kind of just came from the performers. And I was just like, this is so cool and I think one thing um one thing that really baffled me was how quickly they were able to get changed in their yeah. costume and ever since then I was just like I need to know more about this world and so yeah here I am <laughs> what how was your
0: earliest play like your your the first time you yourself even dived into it how old were you then when when was that
1: I was I think I was 10 10 or 11 and we had like I remember I was reading like it was reading time in class and I picked up a a play don't remember the play but absolutely loved it and um we had to kind of like the teacher got us to do like a sharing time at the end of the day where we kind of um spoke about what we loved most about what we were reading that day Mm. and after I kind of presented my whole thing she was just like, you know what? I think we should all do a play. Like, yeah. you know, like, um, so I think in the next term or semester or whatever it was, um, basically she split us up into groups and we got to just, yeah, play around with, you know, a play that we all chose. And I, the one that we, my group did was a play called Strega We'll never forget it. I played a Striganon- little-
0: Strigan- how do you pronounce that? Sorry? Strega okay,
1: um about like a a woman who cooks who makes like who has like this magic pot that makes magic spaghetti oh. um so basically, I played a a young man in that play, and I was just like it was it was just this i feel like it was just this like the weeks of preparation and rehearsing and figuring out costumes and things like that like I mean we were like eleven 12. like we had like, 10, 11, like, we had the wildest imaginations, and, you know, there were people who did, like, the Princess and the Pea, um, like, a short version of Cinderella, but here I was, like, every, like, all the girls wanted to be the princess, all the girls wanted to be, like, the evil stepmother, or the stepsisters, and here I was, not, like, it wasn't my choice at all, but I was stuck playing a young Italian man and I thought I would hate it when I first uh, when I first was told that this was my this was my role. I was just like, no, I want to be the princess. I want to be this. But then honestly, fell in love with it. Like I wow. fell in love with the role. Fell in love with how I could just be a completely different person. Uh, fell okay. in love yeah. with the confidence that came from that character. That you know, like I wasn't a rube anymore. You know, and I and I really really loved that feeling and like for a little girl who was also bullied in the high in primary school like it was it was a way for me to step away from you know that world and not really care like it was I think it was like one of the first times truly that I didn't care what other people thought about me wow. and so I think yeah from there I was just like this is my comfort zone like this is this is my comfort my my comfort zone and my challenge zone as well where I'm challenging myself to become um this confident uh you know person who learns to explore and learns to step outside of their comfort zone but this is also where I feel at home so Mm.
0: and what's crazy is that you're doing that even as like really a child you're barely you're not even a teenager yet because you're 12 11 12 um but what was so funny to me even hearing that was two things one is how even some of the children how they're all trying to find what roles they want to play it's funny to even yeah. think about children at that age you saying I want to play the witch I want to play the evil yeah. stepmother like already they have the minds of yeah let me do some maniacal devious stuff in the yeah, school yeah, of yeah. acting um, but also, like, the idea of this, the imagination of it all, right? Like, how they all dive into the roles. Like, to, uh, while you're talking, part of me was thinking to myself, like, what would the world be like if that same spirit of children, that same imagination of children, if we still had that in, like, full force today? Cause oh, my
1: gosh, right? It,
0: I remember like me and my uh, older brother, we used to um, play, we had a story for badminton, right? We'll go outside to our yard, we'll play badminton, but we would put like a storyline to it, right? And no one had I to tell it. us to do this. No one had to like teach us. We would just, we just created a story that Im- implemented the badminton and it was the most lit like time after school ever. And to me, it's just interesting that we, we find it in different ways now, right? Like I listen to sports, sports will they'll try to create narratives. We watch movies, we listen to music. But by and large, so many times, the narrative of life that we had as children is gone. What, what what, are your thoughts on if people still had that childlike imagination, if they still brought that to their life, what the world would look like then?
1: I feel like we would, we would be in a completely different world. I feel like we would be in a world where people, we'd have more inventions, I feel. I think we'd have more innovation. Mm. I think because, I mean, one thing about being a creative is that you like you're just labeled as a creative right but yeah. then I think one, one thing that we forget and one thing that I feel like is starting to come to light right now is that a lot of creatives are now being seen as versatile like they're not just creatives like they're they're having like the multi-hyphens um yeah you know, titles things like that but I think what that's also giving way to is allowing other people who don't see themselves as creatives um actually find that you know there is creativity in what they do like I mean everyone has a creative identity I believe yeah even if you're a scientist scientists are still creative you know science itself you don't like a scientist is not just one thing it's not it's not a monolith like we as a scientist you're not just you know conducting experiments well Mm. you are in many different areas and yeah. many different sectors, but that's not all you do. Like yeah. there's creative thinking that comes to you know um, facilitating those experiments. There, as a uh, as a lawyer, you have to you have to think creatively in order to get your client through. So, kind of boxing creativity up into this, you know, artistic, um, you know, vi- like visually artistic realm kind of limits others perceptions of
0: creativity you know so yeah no you you make an amazing point there because you're right like um if you're a lawyer right technically when when they're like finding these loopholes they're trying to figure out and think of creative ways of like what hasn't been planned yet right which allows them to maybe find loopholes in the laws or find ways of combining different precedents, precedents to, you know, help their client out. And you're right, it, it spans across all different um, domains, even with science as well. Like even your creativity with science is how you're going to be able to maybe potentially find new laws and whatnot, trying things that never been tr- tried before. So that being said, what's funny to me is because there would definitely be more innovations, but I feel like there'd also be more chaos in that point as well. But- that was the first thing that I thought as well. <laughs> it would be madness.
1: I feel like I didn't want to admit
0: it. <laughs> it would be it will be Alice in Wonderland in real life, like just yeah, things no, that so true. They, but isn't
1: they, that beautiful?
0: It's it's beautiful if you can handle that. Not everyone can handle, you know, working in the unknown, you know, for a long period of but time.
1: That's, that's that's what that's what creativity allows you to do. Like when you have. When you are at a level of actually, like I don't want to, I don't want to prescribe this to a world that doesn't really exist and think that this is exactly what's going to happen. But yeah, and then let's work
0: through it. Just go for it. Like
1: my, (laughs) see, my thinking is that if the world is that that chaotic, I don't know. I feel like there's a level of creativity that you get to where you're okay with the chaos because Mm. you're able to creatively think around it and you're able to work through it because I feel like we're already in a chaotic world. We're already in a chaotic society and we're always having to constantly maneuver through it and maneuver through other ways of thinking, other Mm. people's ways of thinking. and, And I mean, no one already, like already no one thinks alike. And so when we, when we're at our creative peak, I feel like that allows us to better navigate the world. No matter how like, no matter how chaotic like the world can be, I feel like a creative mind can always navigate through that. And so I think if the world was in um, a, a, a creative like a, in chaos and in like you know in a flux of, you know, other people's creativity, I feel like we'd be able to manage that. We'd be able to maneuver
0: that. Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. And definitely, I don't think chaos is a bad thing. To me, chaos is just, it is that, um, it's hard to even explain, like, but that in between, right? Because we always, even in the way life is now, I think that's why a lot of creatives have a hard time now. Because things are so structured, that the moment they try to be creative and say, let's try it different, the whole world's like, stop. What are you doing? We have a system. We don't need you trying to create what we know how it works. Um, and I think there is some safety in that, but there's also rigidity in that. Um, yeah. If we flip to the other side, I think people like me and yourself, we might be thriving, right? Like whatever goes, goes. But I yeah. think you always do need some of that structure to say, okay, we, we at least know this is this. And this mm-hmm. isn't going to keep on changing because if something kept changing every single day, you have to always relearn what you thought was. Um, and yeah. I know I, feel, I feel like we're going kind of philosophical right now. So i try to calm down a bit, <laughs> but I always like to try to find that healthy balance between the madness of creativity and chaos versus like the, I guess, the understood calmness of what already is, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll have like one final, um, like point to that. Yeah. I think that it is so much easier to turn things down than to, you know, increase or expand the, I guess like, a, yeah, it's easier. Yeah, I, I'd say it's easier to turn down than to expand. Mm. So i say for me, I would prefer, and I'm trying to teach myself to go crazy, think big first and then turn it down to the level that is needed uh, at the time yeah. because once you start restricting yourself and limiting yourself in the way that you think and the way that you um the way that you interrogate ideas and interrogate things that kind of come your way um you it becomes a habit of you know doubting like okay oh um that might not work. And, you know, you, you second-guess you second yourself and second-guess yeah. your ability and second-guess your creative thinking. But then if you're able to say, no, I'll think big first mm. and then see how I can then make it feasible, that I feel like that's a better way to operate. For me, anyway.
0: No, I, I actually agree with that because even in business, when it comes to trying to generate new strategies and innovation, they do speak about, let, let it all fly first. Yeah. Get the ideas out. And then once you have all all the possible considerations, then find out what your criteria is that you need to kind of tune it down to and you see which ones stick and which ones are a bit too, aren't the right fit either way. So with that all being said, then like, what do you see now in your own future? Right? Like if you, if you were to look say 20, 30 years down the track and do you have your own idea of like all the things that you're wanting to have accomplished? Maybe not have accomplished, but like the, the realms you want to, you want to dabble in or walk in.
1: Um, that's a really tough question because ugh, I don't know. Um, I think, I'm, it's funny because, like, I think in, in the past I used to be that type who used to plan five, 10 years into the future. At this stage that I am in right now, I'm kind of in that headspace where I say, you know, whatever goes, goes. But if I was to say right now that I guess if I was to proclaim what I'm aiming for in the future, like five, 10 years time, I would say. And just real quick,
0: because before you answer it, I don't want to make it seem like it's a, everything you need to have accomplished. What I more mean is those certain things in your heart that you would like to actually see expand. Like for example, right? Like for myself, though I'm doing coaching now, I would still love to one day still work in music in some capacity. Oh
1: totally, yeah. Do
0: something that might be in relation to film or venture capitalism. Um, and it's not saying that these are goals, but it's like there's ideas of like there's a part of me that says it would be cool to also expand my life in that area if I wanted to yeah. So I don't want it to be like a structure, like this is what has to happen, but like (laughs) other areas in your personality you feel like you want to also explore
1: no totally because i i have kind of moved away from that like super structured and rigid way of thinking yeah um so yeah i think like i'd like to have made some films definitely i would love to have made at least one feature film because usually sometimes for some people for the majority of us it will take five to ten years to make our first feature film Mm. um so yeah, to have like a feature film under my belt, um, a few short films and other projects under my belt as well. Um, yeah. And have like, a, like, for me, it's just to really understand my creative identity to be completely honest. I think it's, um, and have that, ref- and have that, um, sorry, and have my slate reflect that
0: um mm, that full creative identity. That's so I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm even excited to really see yeah that full creative identity in, in you. And because I always feel like everyone has it, but yeah, have they really tapped into it? Have they really yeah. given it time to like yeah, manifest itself? Um it mm. so we we spoke, and I know that you've um worked and volunteered and assisted with TEDx in the past and um, even now, and correct me if I'm wrong, things have shifted. But um, you may be doing some curating work for them in the future as well. Am I correct in saying that?
1: Yes, yes.
0: So, knowing a bit about your your um, I guess your pedigree, your resume. Like I know you you you've worked in events, in film, in education. Like I would deem TED as an education kind of platform, really. Right, like with coming out there, providing ideas, all these kind of things. Um, which one would you say you enjoy operating in most? right if you when you look at the difference between like you know creating a short film or whatnot versus creating an event for you know people to come through and celebrate like like uh, africa day or whatnot versus doing stuff like ted um yeah when you look at all the because these are all creativeness own in this own way but like which yeah. one do you enjoy um uh, operating in most
1: dang that's hard like
0: you like like they're
1: all my babies i know right choose <laughs> tell it, me who yeah. you love the most Oh my god! Yeah,
0: at least tell me like the differences between them because like I haven't worked in film. I wasn't a I wasn't a play back in year two, but you know, little subtle subtle stunt. Oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, like I haven't been dabbling in all those things. So I'm very curious to see like what's the difference between those things.
1: Uh, yeah, there. I think there there are obviously like a lot of crossovers. Um, in terms of you know, um, the skills that are required, but I think the outcomes in the and the outcomes as well, like the feeling that you get when something is complete and you see that person on stage or you're see you you're at the event that's kind of come together or you know you see that film, it's just this, oh, this overwhelming feeling of just like this warmth that you feel like, I, I just love it. Absolutely love it, I live for that. Um, but yeah, I'd say like my favorite, I would have to say in terms of overall experience, like from beginning to end I'd say working in like in the event space is probably my favorite only because Mm. I feel like, I mean, you can never ever be 100% in control of anything because yeah, plan B's, plan C's, plan D's, even plan F's are are needed in any of those spaces. But I think, um, actually no, I'm gonna revert that. And I'm gonna say the educational space, I think, the educational space only because there is something about the next generation there's something something about seeing young people from you know when you first step in or when you take them to an event or when you introduce them to a workshop mm. um seeing the, where they are in the beginning of that workshop or the beginning of that experience and where they are and how open they become by the end of the experience. I feel like there's nothing beats that, right? Mm. Like a successful workshop, a successful film, a successful event is all great. It's all well and good, but for me, I think at the heart of that is community. For me, you know, yeah. at the heart of it is thinking what 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 what, what are you building for the future? Um, what's how are you inspiring the next generation to you know carry the torch and you know. Uh, and also change the way things are structured because like nothing's ever really gonna stay the same and you can only equip them with you know, the resources and the, the knowledge that you have now, but you can only hope that they will do far greater things than you in the future. And so to see young people step up to that plate and say that I'm gonna take on this challenge, I'm gonna learn, I'm going to educate myself, I'm going to um, follow in the footsteps of the people that I'm really inspired by, that
0: inspires me yeah no i love that because ultimately i think even hearing you say that what i've realized is like before we we chat we we were speaking i've always told myself that i love to see innovation i love to see new things be birthed right especially in culture right like to me it's so amazing that you you can you go around the world and you're still dealing with humans but they act so different right yeah. japan has its own culture australia has its own culture africa has its own culture indonesia has its own culture everyone has its own culture and in hearing you talk just then i realized ultimately those cultures are being birthed from like new generations
1: of course right? yeah
0: because even in the same nation one generation will be different from the next generation, right? And our generation, like, they know who we are now. Like, they they might talk smack about millennials or, you know, <laughs> post-millennials or all that. But ultimately, they know we're bringing something new. And it just shows you how much potential there is in a generation. Like, no matter what, they're, they're children right now, but they're, they're going to be able to do something that no one, no generation right now understands or can see.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: so powerful to think that someone or a generation that's, like, children right now, infants or babies right now, one they're going to be so powerful to create something that no other generation can probably perceive.
1: Oh my gosh, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. Cause yeah, I look at like my little brother, my brother's like 12, so he's still a baby. Um, and I look at my nephew and my niece and like just extended family. I'm just like, you guys are going to
0: something. (laughs) You don't know what it's going to be, but something's (laughs) coming out of them. That's going to be so potent that people are going to be like, wow, watch this. What are they doing? You know, like I'm getting yeah, started. now.
1: Yeah, and I can only hope that, you know, myself and, like, my sister and my parents and all these people that are around them can nurture that, you know?
0: Mm. Do you feel like, our being millennials now, Right, I feel like we're just getting started, right? Like, even I feel like even older generations, like, they still got some time to go. They still got some... They can still flex their wings for a bit. But I look no, at millennials, totally. I'm like, we're just getting started. Like, we haven't been given the reins just yet. I feel like Gen Y is taking the reins, boom is still like <laughs> holding on to it with dear life
1: <laughs>
0: But I I'm very curious to know what it's gonna be like by the time like what 2050, 2060. You know, if somebody true, else take us out by then, but, yeah.
1: No, totally. I I'm so excited, but I think I'm really excited to see that, you know, our generation who are becoming parents now, like my sister, for example. And just like you guys are amazing parents, like, it's like they, they understand the trauma of being a child. Mm. So, and they, they, they're really good at communicating that. Unlike the last generation, like our parents' generation who, you know, is just, they're just like, yeah, life is life, you move. Like we, we go through the struggles, we don't talk about the struggles, we just move. <laughs> um, but I think our generation, like we know the struggle, we speak about the struggle, we heal from the struggle. And we're raising, we're going to be raising and we are raising a healed generation or a generation that, you know, knows how to heal from those traumatic experiences. Yeah. And we don't have a talk.
0: What's our blind spot, though? Because I feel like you, you gain one thing, but sometimes you lose another. Like, the, the most common thing they always say about our generation is, y'all give up too quickly or y'all ain't loyal, y'all are just... From one thing to the next. But that's coming from the outside. Like you being in it, what do you feel like our blind spot is that we actually got to learn so that we don't potentially fumble the ball in, su- in certain areas as we grow up?
1: Yeah, actually, that's something I've been thinking about lately. I think like we. I mean, we're, we're perceived as a generation that, does, that doesn't care enough, I feel.
0: And I'm not saying that, that that's true. That might just be bloating.
1: But sometimes I see that. Sometimes I do see that. Because, like, we, we tell ourselves, like, don't care what other people think about you, which, yeah, for the most part, it's true. Um, we say, you know, no one really cares that deeply about you. So just live your life for yourself you know, your job doesn't care about you. So like take that vacation time that you want to, um, you know, you're like, sometimes you might be with someone, but they truly don't, they will never care about you as much as you care about you, which is true for the most part. But yeah. I think sometimes we do need to let ourselves be vulnerable. I mean, I think like we're kind of split where like, we're, we're teaching ourselves to be super vulnerable and, but then not attached right so it's it's
0: um yeah. well here's the thing i i i disagree with the idea of don't be attached wait, no maybe let me rephrase that like you shouldn't be too attached to anything no. but i'm i'm starting to believe now the more i study and understand more about mental health and psychology the more i realize we're, we're built to be attached and connected yes like yes. even in family like no matter how much they get on your nerves if someone came in disrespect to your family member for most people anyway that's going to hurt you it's like them attacking them is like them attacking you so yeah. ultimately like we're all connected by something and i feel mm-hmm. like um i've been reading this powerful book called um, lost connections which is talking about um the the misconceptions and causes of depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. one of the one of the um uh chapters is diving into how we've lost the connection with others how like in olden cultures and tribes and societies they were so they were so strong in community that mental health it was something that wasn't as common because they had such strong connections with each other that we we thrive on but now yeah. it's like because we're all we all trying to make sure we keep that wall up make sure that we're not being hurt like we're trying to be vulnerable but like not attached in a way it can it it causes us to have a lot of um depression is one of the, is a big cause from that and anxiety as well so it's a very strange thing for me like always trying to find the balance like i said before but uh I feel like us losing that connection is a bad thing. That's ultimately what I'm trying to say.
1: Thank you, thank you. I, I totally agree because I mean, if when, when I went to Nigeria, I think I was um, 17 or 19, I was 19 when I went to Nigeria and I spent a lot of my time with um, one of my aunties in Lagos and a lot of the discussions that we had was about, you know, this community and upholding culture and cultural practices that, you know, allow us to feel connected to something and have that connection mm. that will inevitably save us from ourselves when the time comes, right? And yeah. I love, like, a, I, I, she is just an amazing person to talk to. Like, we will talk for hours. Like, um, one thing that she said that really, like, stuck by me all these years was that, um, you know, when we do detach ourselves from our community, when we detach ourselves from our culture, like, where do we belong? Where will we find mm. our? Where else will we yeah. find our people? Right. Yeah. And so, having that connection means that you know you, although a lot of people may not like it, you have that 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 community that holds you accountable to yourself as well. Yeah. And so, if you have that and you're you're you know surrounded by people who may not be physically there all the time, you still know that they're there for you. Yeah. And that would ultimately. Like I wouldn't say it's like having that in every aspect of your life will mean that you don't go through, you know, yeah. um, mental health crises or, you know, you don't face depression or anxiety. but it it helps to stave off those really, really like deep immersions of like resent that we have towards ourselves ourselves sometimes, you know, yeah. and um, and, yeah, it can save us from ourselves. And she says that, you know, one thing that she's found like in her travels that you know a lot of people who don't have culture and who don't have like a sense of community are a lot more depressed they're a lot sadder Mm. they they are actually really really lonely yeah um but she says that but us why we are strong why our people are strong is because we 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 value community we value our culture and we value the connection that we have with other people
0: yeah and we're we're trying to we try to run away from it because there's the fear of being attacked by those who are meant to love you, right? Those who are meant to It's be- the
1: easy way out. Sorry? It's, it's the easy way out. It's I the think easy, it's, it's, yeah. You just, like, it's an easy way out for people not to have to talk about their feelings, not to have to confront what they're going through, because sometimes other people know us a little bit better than ourselves. Like, mm. I think... Um, it's 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 funny because I was talking to my dad about this last week that you know um, in the in the case of my brother my some things my brother does he will totally deny doing it but the on the outside everyone else sees that you're doing it like you can't deny it so like sometimes we we lie to ourselves to make ourselves feel better we lie to ourselves to make ourselves yeah just kind of not seem as you know out of touch or as bad as we 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 hope or wish that we're not but other people can kind of see that and that's why we kind of sometimes need to let people in so we save ourselves from like they can save us from ourselves
0: they can save us from ourselves because no one can go through life by themselves like I think ultimately what we're looking for is that is is meaning and that yeah. meaning can come in many forms right it comes through family comes yeah. through culture, comes through the values we share and like, like here's a question for you. Like right now, what would you say is the value of our of today? Like what is it that we that as a people we feel like we all actually do believe in? I know it's kind of a it might be a hard question to answer, but like let me try to add some extra context. Like back previously in older generations, as far as what I'm 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 I, I'm I remember right. They had the, the say, the American dream of, you know, the house, the white picket fence, the children, right? And, like, having a strong-knit family, right? That maybe was one value that a lot of people shared, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the 60s, they all seemed to galvanize around that whole idea of the psycho- psychedelic experience and let's, like, you know, start doing drugs and whatever. Like, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but just the idea of, like, what they all now flock to as a value system. What's today's value system? What is it that we're... Is, it cancer, is cancer culture our value system? Like what is, what is it that we all now say like this is what we believe as a, a community or as a society, you know?
1: Oh, look, I, like when you first asked the question, the first thing that came to my mind was just peace. Like I feel like we, we value, I think everyone values themselves more than anything else and their own peace, and their and we value mental health a lot more now than any other generation we value the reality of you know
0: uh how funny like, is we, that sorry for cutting you off but how funny is it that we value mental health yet it seems like mental health is going down rather than up and maybe they weren't monitoring it before and it was actually worse before but you know they still talk about how poor mental health is today though we're valuing mental health it it kind of sounds like it's a contradiction of like what we truly value if 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 it's not getting better rather worse
1: I think it's like just like the trend of the world at the moment I think with just everything that's happening mental health is getting worse because I mean (laughs) we're in a pandemic like through what other generation has been through yeah. the global pandemic We're and doing this on Zoom. <laughs> had to, yeah, exactly, and had to, you know, face their computer screens and face the internet more than ever, right? And you know, I think the effects of having to, you know, sit in front of the computer all day and do your work off a screen uh, like communicate with other people and try to relate with people at like off a screen and. Um, turning to social media more, where social media already has proven to, you know, lower people's self-esteem, and that is basically where we're at 24-7 now, so I think it's, like, although, yes, we're valuing our mental health, and yes, like, the mental health awareness is going up, but we're pushed into spaces where our mental health is forced to kind of decline because we're, we're bombarded with all these issues and problems of the world. Um, fake news, sc- like scary news, <laughs> bad <laughs> news, like-
0: Breaking news. It's just,
1: never, it's just never ending. It's just never ending. And so I think it's, 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 it's only right that we're now definitely focusing on mental health because yeah. we need more than, we need that awareness more than ever. Because like imagine if we didn't right now. Like imagine if you know the 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 idea of mental health was you know still stuck in 2010, and we're in a like we're in a global pandemic where you know seeing bad things happen right in front of our eyes unfiltered, we would yeah, it'd be pretty bad.
0: Hundred percent. I'm I'm very big. I'm I'm so much bigger on the idea of community now than I've probably ever been in my whole life just totally. because of how much uh research and i guess even life experience ultimately that I, and from what you're saying from what other people are saying from like speaking to different ethnicities from around the world and how yeah when they, every time they look at the differences it seems like one of the main contributing factors is is there a community versus is there not a community do you feel mm. like you have others who are with you and they're right or die versus do you feel like you're really alone in this world and to me now I'm like that's one of the things I'm, I'm i'm really trying to shout from the from the rooftops like you gotta find a, your tribe you yeah. need to be a part of the whole world but like you need to have that tribe you know like exactly. when, when stuff hits the fan you know he's coming around she's coming around they're gonna come around and we're gonna be okay together you know mm-hmm. um i was listening to a uh a song by most deaf uh, called um, "Life in Marvelous Times," and he has one bar, and he goes, he he's talking about like the state of the world. He goes, um, he goes, we got more and more and more and more and more of less than ever before. And every time I hear it, I always think to myself, like, oh, that's so profound. Like, just more everything, <laughs> more technology, more more money, yeah. more food, more whatever. But just losing that some of the substance of what is actually what it's all about ah. i don't know Ume. what are we gonna do <laughs>
1: honestly I, yeah i feel that
0: that being said um one of the one of the main reasons that like obviously i w- did want to speak to you because i wanted to kind of get your thoughts um on culture today some of the some of the influences that kind of makes the cog turn right mm. um and I was going to ask you because I was I was watching, I was I saw a post. I'm going to bring it up right now. Uh, most podcasts have someone to bring up posts for them. I got to do it myself. This is how. <laughs> um, there was a guy named Cap Chatfield and he was, he put up a post that made me, it was very interesting. He goes, poli- he goes, politics runs downstream from culture. He goes, culture runs downstream from the work of creatives and entrepreneurs and that work runs downstream from what they worship and i'll thinking it to myself and i want to ask you what industries or what things do you think changes or disrupts culture most what do you think has the biggest impact on it
1: mm. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that one thing has the biggest impact on culture, but I'd say it's a mix. Actually, I'd say in terms of like, if we're looking at pop culture and, and the culture de- like created newly, like in this pati- like specific era that we're in, I'd say like digital culture, Like anything to do with social media. Um like we're we're creating this global culture, I'd say, like this this global digital culture, you know, TikToks and Instagram reels and all that kind of
0: stuff. Um Has that taken lead now? Like if you because one thing I wrote here that I was gonna say, like viral moments to me almost seem like they're the ones that push the envelope now. Like I even wrote down like, okay, so George Floyd, right? When that happened, you felt the momentum in regards to Black Lives Matter and um, oppression and taking on, um, you know, corrupt systems, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Now recently, have you seen about the crate challenge? Yes. Right? (laughs) yes (laughs) just seeing people just fall smack on the concrete and i'm like the the (laughs) amount of the fact that it's just a viral moment just has people say find me a crate i'm about to do this challenge right and like is it whether it's now on accident or people like clout chasing i i feel like yeah i feel like those viral online moments now almost like those are the things that actually push people's opinion most
1: But that's the thing, I I, I feel like it doesn't, I don't know, I don't think those viral moments necessarily push people's opinions because I feel like they're very short-lived and they fade away so quickly. I mean, viral culture now is, yeah, a lot more short-lived than it was in the past. I mean, I feel like those things, the specific, Things that went viral back in our day, like back in high school, you know, like sitting on the toilet, like all those, like they (laughs) live, (laughs) like they live for a really long time. I mean, that video probably came up, what I don't know, ten years ago, eleven years. I don't even remember, right? But I feel like that has lived a lot longer. But some things that went viral what last year, I don't even remember them today.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That being said, I feel like viral moments mixed with certain
1: agency
0: factors. Because, like, I feel like, say, like with the Me Too movement, right? That could have been an idea that like people held, but didn't as much act on. This is my thoughts. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm correct on everything, but like, didn't as much act on until you started to see that momentum of it becoming viral online and the movement becoming viral online.
1: Okay. See, now I I, I think, now I understand. I For me, I was looking more so at culture, like these, you know, uh, I guess trendy, fad-type cultures. But if we're talking about, uh, sorry, um, trends. So fad-type trends. Different There's different levels to
0: it. There's different levels to the viral moments, I feel.
1: Yeah, but I think if, if, if we're talking about uh viral moments and trends that kind of uh speak to the agency of of you know awareness then that's Mm. different right and i think yeah i don't know i think if you're talking about like the me too movement and you know george floyd and those kind of trends and uh sorry, sorry vir- uh, viral moments that cause people to act on something yeah those are a lot more long-lived than you know you know TikTok dances and things like that
0: yeah it's a it's a strange thing like before if you had like say your business right like coke or something and you had a mad product and it sparked and now it's in every store and everyone's drinking it's on tv like that will that push culture like coke pushed culture in regards to soft drinks and whatnot
1: yeah
0: um but I feel it now like the things I see that rise to the top and stay there I feel like at some point it has to go through that viral moment on the internet whether it's like iPhones becoming like the the cream of the crop in regards to smartphones. Oh, is the iPhone X coming out? Is Drake dropping like? Even if they even if they last for a long time and they're not just say a microwave moment, I still feel like they need their viral moments to to kind of solidify themselves. Yeah. Maybe maybe not, but this is just how I'm feeling at the moment because every time I look around, I'm like, if I don't see it online, am I? Am I really seeing it, you know? Is it really something that the world is getting hooked on unless at some point I'm seeing a meme about it or post about it or someone's annoyed about it, you know? Like, hmm. No,
1: totally. I feel like, yeah, I I think we're very reactive in the way that we, like, if someone, if it doesn't elicit a, a, a reaction, like, it's, does it doesn't really matter, right? So I think that's, that's how we're kind of like measuring whether, you know, something's worth our time. If, if someone else didn't react to it, if someone else didn't speak on it, like, is it worth us following? And I mean, that's, that's the whole point of trends, right? And things that go viral.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's something to think about ultimately because I think the thing that's always in my mind is if you know what pushes culture, I feel like you can kind of find out where the leverage is right mm. to say you're trying to also have your own imprints on on the planet um and you know i i feel like when i say i'm looking at entertainers or whether it's actors or athletes like a lot of them they're planting their base on the online platforms now right whether it's yeah. social media like i i'm i follow kevin hart and i just like love seeing his videos of him like dancing and goofing off and i'm like how big would he be if he didn't also have this social media presence that continuously also pumped up his his influence or like the Kardashians yeah. or whatnot so that's what that's I think that's the thing that just keeps going through my mind that says, that makes me ask myself like what is the true influence of culture what really pushes people's opinions most uh but it's a it's a, it's a strange thing it definitely is a strange thing um mm. here's a here's something I have for you right so entertainers actors athletes uh we talk about them as role models right yeah. because ultimately younger younger children are uh I guess influenced by who they look up to in role models and there's there's that ongoing debate about should they be seen as role models should they not they're just human like we can't put that kind of um pressure on them versus uh should they take the responsibility since they're in the limelight I'm curious to know, like, what are your thoughts in regards to entertainers, actors, and athletes as role models? Is this right? Is it wrong? Should we leave them alone and let them do what they're doing? Or do you feel like there is truth in saying that they should be responsible in how they use their platform?
1: Mm. Oh, that's, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky debate because I'm kind of on both sides of the argument where you know i think if you have been given a platform you need to use it wisely but at the same time you need to have like if if you have that kind of platform and you have the money to do so get a pr team together to really you know uh, like help you properly market your brands to the right audience Mm. um because then when it does get I, i think the the times when it gets messy is like you know like Cardi B for example, has been like one of the big ones where, you know, her music is not for kids but a lot of kids listen to her music. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like, we can't blame her because you know the way trends work, like anyone can get their hands on it. I mean, kids as young as 10 are on the internet at this stage. So we can't necessarily blame the celebrities or the athletes. Um, or the public figures to maintain where their content goes. Yeah, and that's just the nature of the internet. That's just the nature of the world wide web. But I think the onus should be on the parents in that instance, to guide their kids. because I mean, for me, growing up, like my parents weren't, like they were like other parents, they were scared that, you know, um, they're, you're always scared of your kids being, you know, um, uh, exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. Every parent has that fear, but it's on the parent to guide your kids and to tell them that, you know, not everything that you, you hear is true. Not everything that you see with your eyes is good for you. And teach your children to discern like how to navigate you know, the world that is becoming, di- that that is quite digital now, mm. so I feel like the responsibility is more so on the parents to do that guidance. It's mm. in Beyonce and Cardi B are not raising your kids, you are, <laughs> but then at the same time, for someone to be given such a platform, you, it's, it's, you're signing some sort of contract that you are going to be a public figure and public figures are always going to be held in high regard like even if we look at someone within our immediate community someone who is doing big things whether they like it or not they are going to be a role model to someone and so the way that they move and the way that they navigate the world I guess if um, I mean if 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 it's part of their if it aligns with their brands like they need to be careful in how they move because there are people who are younger than you there are people who are below you there are people who are next to you who are looking to you to guide them or for guidance or for tips or whatever it may be and so people are learning from us no matter what we do and i mean like even as an auntie myself when i'm like with my nieces and nephews and um with younger kids i have to be careful with what i do although like i may not um I may not intentionally want to guide them, I guess, down the wrong path. Sometimes I'm singing a song that doesn't have that, like <laughs> doesn't have a good word no. in it. Yeah. <laughs> but I need to, as an adult, I need to be able to use the common sense and not be foolish enough to think that they will not be looking at me and not learning from what I'm doing. Mm. Right? So I think it, it definitely goes both ways where, you know people who are given that platform need to come to a, a realization and even though they don't care as long as they acknowledge that you know there are people who are going to be looking up to them no matter what um so it's i mean it, yeah it's I think it's, it's quite it's quite hard
0: I think one of the I think key things I heard from you just then that I think I mean, it all stood out to me, but like where I really agree on is the acknowledgement right whether you whether you um admit it or not it's having the effect right totally. I, I i um like do you remember the phrase like a community raises a child yes right if yeah, i'm butchering the phrase as well i apologize for english language but like a parent will raise their child from you know like, obviously they have a big part of raising their child, but then you send them off to school, right? (laughs) That's a whole different, that's a whole different system. I'm thinking about how, like, my friends raised me. Like, who I am today is because of my friend group. I'm like, there's so many different parts that, yeah, it, it probably is crazy to try to put it all in a role on a celebrity or some kind of influencer when there's so many different things that's coming around it. Um, but I think acknowledgement, that's a cool, that's an interesting thing that, that you brought up that I think, I think we all need to, right? Whether it's the, ac- totally. the celebrity or even like the school system or your friends, like we're all playing some kind of role in this.
1: Totally. And I think one thing that I really appreciated growing up was especially my dad, who would always remind my sister and I that, you know, he'd always acknowledge his human, like his, his humanness, mm, like his, yeah. like, his just like, you know for him he always acknowledged that every year every day that he gets to be a father is a new day of learning things of how to be a father cuz yeah like he when i turned like my sisters are older than me so like when my sister turns a new year that's the first time that he's a father to a 20 year old, a 25 year old, a 26 year old. And so (laughs) for him, he acknowledged that he's constantly learning how to be a parent. He's constantly learning how to be a father. So therefore he'll never, ever be perfect because, you know, um, he, he can only do his best. And so to acknowledge that means that, you know, then he says that, you know, from what he's learned from us, from raising my sister and I, he can then implement that on my on my little brother. But then he also acknowledges that this is the first time he's raising a son. Mm-hmm. He's raised two daughters, but this is the first time he's raising a son. And so that acknowledgement brings him down to earth and allows us to forgive him for his, for his shortcomings. Yeah, Yo, your right? dad is so oh.
0: smart. He jumped ahead of the <laughs> fire. Like, if I ruin you... <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> uh, actually like a blueprint for for parenthood now. <laughs> this is my first time doing this <laughs> whatever.
1: Exactly. it's true. It's true. And he always like he always said like especially like in in times of difficulty when you know like you know, every family goes through their own like individual struggles. And for us, like um, through the struggles that we faced and you know um, the disagreements that my parents have had in um, different point in time, whenever he, he, like, whenever he sees the, you know, my sister and I witnessed him and my mom have this, like, massive disagreement, he'll always come down and say, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're just human, Mm. and humans disagree, and that, you know, whatever you see your mom and dad do is not 100% the right thing, Mm. and so take what you like, and, like, put away what you don't like. And so even like when my sister was um, was with her partner when they were dating, that was the advice he would give to her as well. That, you know, not everything that your dad did was a good thing. And not everything your dad thing is what you should be looking for in the husband. And so be mindful of that. Be mindful of the things that you didn't like. Be mindful of, you know, the shortcomings that I had as a husband to your, to your mother. Mm. And so pick the good things that you like and And basically, like, discarded the rest. And so, through that, like, I mean, my sister was able to find someone who, I mean, he has his shortcomings, everyone does, but... (laughs) He's
0: watching this, I'm like, I'm sorry for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think I really, really did appreciate my dad always kind of, yeah, bringing himself down to earth. Because a lot of, like, even a lot of, especially, like, Nigerian parents rarely do that. And they make themselves out to be like this godlike figure <laughs> that always got straight A's. Like my dad was honest about his grades. Like he was oh, really good at like, you know, sciences and maths and like physics and things like that. But um, he, I remember he told me like during my, the HSC, he was telling like not to stress and things like that. And he remember, and I remember him telling me the story about him sitting his exams to get into this really good university in the, in the United States. And um, and at the time he, had, he came first in like his exams for like physics, maths, and like another like subject, but he completely failed English and not once, but twice. Oh. Right? And so because of that, he wasn't able to get the scholarship that he wanted or he needed. And so like through that if through stories, like, like I appreciate people who we see as these like huge figures in our lives. That you know share these stories with us, that you know bring them down to earth, so that we don't feel as you know as if like we have to meet this standard of um, perfection that's so unattainable.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds like there's a lot of humility in your dad to be able to, to let you know from the from the onset. Because I, I think so many people can relate with the idea of their parents acting like they can do no wrong. And it, it's such a frustrating moment as well. Like where you can see something that your parents doing, they're like, this is just plain wrong. Like as an adult, you can sound like this is not how
1: totally. we're acting.
0: But, but in their mind, it's like they're just in a whole different just perfection. Um that being said, I was going through your um your IG just real quick, just before this <laughs> refresher. And I was looking through your cap, your your description, your bio, and it's like your cool auntie and i'm like yeah yeah she is that and i thought <laughs> myself, shout out to all the cool uncles and aunties that like kind of taught you game while your parents were doing the straight and narrow they were like totally. kind of doing this extra different kind of <laughs> shows you a bit of totally. life <laughs> in, a, in a crazy way I want to hear, I want to hear kind of your story as like being that cool auntie and even like, what is the cool auntie? What is that? If you have to give it a role description, what is that as well?
1: Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. Now I'm actually, (laughs) I'm exposing myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I call myself the cool auntie because that's who I aspire to be. I'm definitely not there yet. So if I was to, <laughs> so if I was to go through the role description of the cool auntie, she is she's independent. She has a really cool job, and even if she doesn't have like the coolest job, she earns enough to have a super cool life, right? She yeah. travels. Um, so I feel like I meet maybe like eighty percent of the cool auntie <laughs> role description. <I> Good
0: <laughs> percentage. Yeah
1: she um yeah she knows how to treat herself she knows how to and because of that she knows how to treat her nieces and nephews um she's basically the best friend um that
0: you you want by your side what game is she spitting to the young ones Cause i'm thinking about i'm thinking about like my my cool uncle and like Oh, it's so funny that he he he's like my dad's best friend. And like it's not even actually blood relative, it's more just like family friends. I love that. But like he taught me what true hustle was. Like throughout all the time I've known him, every time I see him, he always has some new device that he's trying to sell to us. (laughs) And like when I was younger, I was like, Oh, why is he always trying to sell us these things? Then as I got older, I was like, man, this guy's a straight hustler. Like, straight up, always coming towards us, trying to, like, show us new things, sell things to us. He gets, like, the latest gadgets or whatnot. I want, I'm want. i curious to know, like, what's your relationship with your nephews and nieces? Like, what game are you spitting to them? What things are you showing them that they learn from you? Well,
1: I feel like I'm not... I, they're not at the age that, like, I, I can give them advice that they, <laughs> that they take on or, or anything like that. Because, I mean, like, the oldest one, he is he's four like he's turning five soon and then my niece is also turning five so i mean, like yeah but like I feel like they teach me more than I teach them anyway Mm -hmm. but um I think for, for me it's kind of just like for me I try to tell them that you know well I'm trying to teach them by through my actions that adulthood doesn't have to be stressful like it doesn't have to be boring Mm, you know yeah like only recently like I was staying with my sister um during lockdown um a few weeks back and um at that stage like my niece is literally seeing everyone just at home sitting at their computer studying or working or in phone calls meetings my sister's like taking board meetings she's you know like at some point she doesn't even have time to cook she's getting her assistant to like order us food and everything and I'm just like this is the world that my niece and nephew are growing up in in this family right so it got to a point where I was just like no you know what they're like I don't want her to think that adulthood is just like sitting at your computer thinking that life is just about work 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 like there's some play so you know often we would have, like, you know, in the middle of the day would have, like, dance breaks. We'll have, like, dance competitions. We'll make, like, music videos. We'd yeah. make dance videos. We'd, um, even, like, simple things, like just rolling on the floor with her. Like, I would do that, right? And we'd um, we turn the staircase into a slide. Like, it's my favourite thing doing as a kid. Like, we'd slide, instead of walking down the stairs, we always slid down the stairs. Like, and it wasn't until I like I hit like a really like hard assessment period where I actually had to focus, that she started feeling that. She'd always come up to me like, auntie, you don't play with me anymore. Uh, auntie, why don't you like a, it, it's like, you don't love me anymore. I'm just like, whoa, that's now, that's like I literally didn't give you like attention for one minute. You're just like, you don't love me, what?
0: That is wow Yeah, the, the guilt trip's real, even at such a young age.
1: Honestly, it, she just sits there. She just looks at me, and crosses her arms. She's just like, Auntie, I feel like you don't love me anymore. Oh, she- with the attitude You're- as well. I
0: know. But that's the thing, because if this happened during a period, were you staying with them for a long time during this period? Five weeks. Five weeks. Okay. So usually the uncle, the auntie comes over for, for a day. They cause mayhem for a day then they bounce and they let the the parent fixes it. <laughs> it. when you're staying there they're like you've been giving them candy for a whole five weeks they're like where's the candy yeah. like i can't give you candy today and they're like ah oh, you must exactly. love it exactly i was uh watching um there's a youtube channel have you heard of um the daily dose of internet no okay so it's a youtube channel um and it's like millions of subscribers and it's just a guy who gets sent in all these fan videos of, like, just dope things around the world. Someone would be skydiving, a weird prank, um, a dog fighting a cougar. Like, just random things that happen worldwide. And I sit down and I watch this on YouTube. I'm always saying to myself, the world is so much bigger than what I'm seeing.
1: Oh, totally.
0: That you don't even... Sometimes you even realize there's so much more to it than just what you're accustomed to. I'm like, I'm telling you, you should have them watch, start watching daily dose of internet. I promise you, they will forget all about Zoom meetings and they'll be like, "I got to go do some of these crazy things out there."
1: No, totally. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like also like my role, my uh, 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 responsibility that I've put on myself as the cool auntie is also trying to teach my niece and nephew and this is something that I wish I taught my little brother right because I I see the difference between the two my niece especially because I feel like I spend time with her the most out of like all my nieces and nephews for her like she I mean she has she has her moments where you know she wants her iPad she wants to watch YouTube on your phone and things like that but like I feel like she has this natural sense of play that Mm. a lot of kids don't like sadly don't have anymore where you know like you'll go outside and she'll pick up something and just start dreaming something up you know she would you know pick up a flower or a dandelion and start using it as a microphone and start acting like a fairy or whatever you know Mm. but
0: strong imagination yeah
1: yeah strong imagination and but then like my brother at the moment he's he's 12 and he's already hit this rut right he's already hit this wall where he just proclaims how bored he is all the time
0: uh, how and old is he i
1: sorry he's, he's 12 and it's so sad to see because i was on the phone with him he's in orange right now i was on the phone with him and i was just like yeah what have you been up to he's just like oh yeah just school just like anything else and it's just like yeah nothing nothing much like i can't kick my soccer ball because dad's backyard's too small and i'm just like and soccer isn't the only thing (laughs) and like and because he doesn't have any friends in orange um who are able to play it's like he's just closed off but then at the same time i i feel for him because for me, I had my sister, like, we're literally a year and a week apart, my sister and I, so we went through school together, we went through yeah. everything, we literally yeah. did life together.
0: Same with me and my but, brother.
1: Yeah, but for him, he's just like, he just, he's just such a downer all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, the pan, it's the pandemic, and I think as well, like, I guess just being young, um, you don't fully understand how how much opportunity is around you even though you don't think it's there like I always I always say now like if I could go back to school oh my gosh I would, I would have been so happy to be the biggest nerd ever like just be oh, a super nerd I'll be right, so
1: beautiful. right I used to be that kid who like I actually wanted to <laughs> look at me I'm exposing myself again <laughs> um, <laughs> um we're just exposing ourselves on this podcast but I'm um when I was a kid I wanted to be a, a spy <laughs>
0: That's so cool.
1: Like old series.
0: Yes. So mine like my favorite Mine was a real estate agent in Japan. And yours was a spy. Okay, go. I'll yes.
1: Like I wanted to be a spy who literally just like lived this double life where like my family thought I was just like this normal kid, went to school, lived like a normal life, but you know. Um, on the school holidays, I just, I don't know, go to summer camp or something, <laughs> but I'm actually on a mission. <laughs> oh, like, my, yeah, my favorite book was like Max Remy Super Spy, I read the entire series, loved it, loved spy movies. And I'd always think, like, my sister thought I was the weirdest person on this planet because I would go to our next door neighbor and I would investigate things that <laughs> I <like>, don't
0: <laughs> think. What are they up to? Um, <laughs> In today's age, I'll get you shot or in jail, but you know.
1: Right. <laughs> <I>, look. <laughs> Luckily, I lived in a very white town, so <laughs> so they were just like, "Oh, kids being kids." Like, I would go to my next door neighbor with a notepad and a pen and ask him, "Why is your dog crying all the time? Like, where did you get your dog from? Why? Like, why? Like, how? How are you growing grapes and oranges in your backyard? Why are you living by yourself? Why- what? Like, I was bold." I was, Yo, I, I was... You're not asking them
0: existential <laughs> questions. They're starting to wonder about really? their own life. <laughs> <laughs> but what's what's cool about that is who who knows, like, I, I, I'm i not a firm believer in this, but I think sometimes there's possibilities of, like, the, the traits we show as children are, like, traits that, like, even as adults we still have. But, like, are we... A little like, bit, yeah. Probably is like, hey, maybe that spy life is still you know maybe after producing know, some spy well
1: i mean I, now i have to change my identity because you guys know
0: <laughs> to, to me the spy is like a journalist or from what how you just described your spy world well <laughs> that's like a journalist and he's going around you're gathering information you know you're playing oh
1: my goodness no wonder yeah i studied journalism would you look at that
0: boom yeah. you're trying to you're trying to crack the secrets
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I would like. I wanted to be an archaeologist as well. So it's, it was kind of like this mix of the two, where I would literally escav- uh, excavate our backyard. My parents hated just finding holes everywhere, because I always thought that you know, like we had this massive backyard back in Victoria, mm. and um, and so one day I found this um, cork, like you know, like corks.
0: Yeah. Well, like. Yeah. Something like the like the the screw cork.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah 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 so I found this cork like material in our backyard and it was like everywhere so like I did some digging and it just like led to this trail of more cork like material and I was just like I'm onto something I'm onto something (laughs) but like I got yelled at by my parents and stopped digging and so I could never really find out but I was so like intrigued to find things like by finding things and like understanding the history of things I loved the excursions that we went to in primary school, yeah. where we'd go to like old towns and go to you know heritage listed sites and you know live in the I don't know 1920s or 1850s.
0: Yeah. I see. I'm the I'm I'm almost the opposite. Like I I love to have just convenience, which wow. sounds terrible, right? Like I would love to go back in time to 1920s, 1950s. But to know that everything's set in stone, everything's set, I don't need to be like working hard to make simple things to get simple things <laughs> that we have today. Um, outdoors, I don't do. I, wow. Well, let me give a little, a little context to it, right? Because someone hears, "Oh, you don't do outdoors, what's wrong with you?" What I mean is, I love the outdoors from a safe space, right? Like going yeah, to the outdoors or making sure you have your camping gear, you have your 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 backpack. You have everything you need. You're with the right people. That's a, a mad outdoors trip for me. If it's just going out into the bush, me and bare grills, I'm not doing that. That's just yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a Survivor type. Like I would oh, really? I would actually like I'd be on that show, Survivor. I and I think I would win.
0: Do you know what's so wild? I could see you on the show Survivor. Like really doing the, like the, the the close up, like I'm here to win. I'm not playing games, I'm here to call. Yeah, i
1: no, not at all. Who like I feel like I'm I'm that type people, it's either you like when you first meet me, it's either you're intimidated of me or you think I'm like the nicest person in the world and the most approachable it's person in the world. Two sides. So it's very two opposite sides. And I've gotten like a lot of people who are just like, Oh my goodness, you know, the first time I met you, like I thought you hated everyone. I was just like, What's me? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like I feel like yeah that's I feel like that's that's my that's I think that's like my my um my strength if I go into that show like I can I can really play Uh, that really nice loving abube like this auntie that loves and mothers everyone but look I like if you know push comes to shove I will push you in the water and I will win
0: oh so sinister I love it
1: whatever (laughs) it takes
0: I'm here to win well, look. In that case, then it's 125. Now we'll begin to wrap up soon. I have uh, one more question for you. This might be a bit controversial as well. I've been throwing some controversial uh, questions at you, but um, we. This is the one thing in regards to social media. But I want to kind of dive into activism, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, from the outside, because um, like I'll just I was observe friends and I, I look at them. like who who do I who what what values do I see in them and who do I see them as and I wouldn't exactly say that oh you're an activist though I'm not saying I might be completely wrong in saying that but I do have that feeling of uh like advocacy and Mm -hmm. purpose and impact in you um would you call yourself an activist or no like what if you if you had to kind of define yourself in regards to your imprint and what you try to do in the community, what would you define that as per se?
1: Um, I wouldn't call myself an activist because activism is hard work. Activism is exhausting
0: work. And
1: a lot of people who call themselves activists aren't like they're performative activists and for and for me i i have the fear of not being 100 percent to i guess what i'm titled as or being seen as like you know someone who i don't know goes against what they stand for so for me i do not call myself an activist
0: um
1: i yes that that that's um that's advocate in me stands because you know like advocates they you know support particular things and so for me I'm an advocate to certain um causes and certain movements but an activist no I tried it I tried being an activist Mm -hmm. I honestly like I would have to say I was depressed
0: really please tell me about this
1: it's as an activist, you put a lot, like you have a lot of responsibilities, and a lot of, like you you carry so much with you as an activist. I imagine you have to. So for me, stepping into this space of activism back in, I think it was back in 2015, 16. Um, and you know, starting that like I kind of started that um, that journey to kind of really understand you know the history of Australia, the the history of you know um, uh, the slave trade, and I really like read up a lot. Like every day, I was reading something. I was reading yeah. essays. I was reading articles. I stayed up to date with um, activists that were you know in the U.S. or in Colombia oh, yeah. or in yeah. Nigeria or in South Africa. And it was a lot of work. It took a lot out of me. Um, But at a point I was happy because I felt that, you know, this is my calling. And at that time I was, I just started my um, Bachelor of Communications and I was majoring in journalism at the time. And I, yeah, I was, I was all about, you know, finding those stories about people who were standing up for what they believed in. Um, But then slowly... After like I was, I was literally like going to like meetings and events like basically every single week. But then being in that space of other activists, some like there was a feeling that I didn't know what I was talking about. There was a feeling of of um, of shame or or of uh, anxiety that I'd be called out for not being a true activist. There were feelings of you know. Um, of worthlessness because it felt like I didn't know, like I just basically begun my activist journey, and there were some people in you know the space who just knew so much more, and I felt that you know I had to silence myself because, um, which is true in a, in part because I mean when you're new to something you can't just start teaching without knowing right so you yeah. need to learn, um, so I put myself in that space to learn, but then there were lots of people who were also activists who look down on people who were uh who were just in that period of learning where they didn't really know as much as them and so you know it, it's it was kind of like you were in a group of like you know philosophers and you were kind of just the the comedian who just like stepped in <laughs> to to yeah. kind of listen to what they had to and, and try to and you wanted to feel a part of the conversation but you never could in a whole in a whole because you know
0: yeah no that's That's a very enlightening thing because, um, and obviously people may have different experiences of how they dive into their own activist journey, but I think that might be something that could potentially keep a lot of people away from it, right? Where they feel like they step into an arena that they don't understand or feel like they don't belong. Would you say that that feeling came more internally or from external pressures around you in regards to not knowing okay. I think both.
1: Because um, at, for me, I, although like I do strive for perfection in a lot of things that I do, I do also acknowledge that you have to, you have to learn and you have to be a student beca- before you become a master. And so I didn't expect to know everything when I started. Um, and a really good friend of mine at that stage, just like her advice to me was just read, just teach yourself and learn. And so I actively put myself in those spaces where I could learn, but then there are some people who are quite, uh, arrogant with their knowledge, mm. you know, where, you know, some people, they become like their, their ego grows when they're amongst people that they feel are inferior to them. Mm. And so, um, I feel like that is what took a toll on me because I then found that some 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 spaces where you know activists held for themselves became very toxic. Um, and for me, I didn't want to be that person. And I and I could see why a lot of people were intimidated to learn and intimidated to pursue that journey of just understanding, even if they didn't they didn't have you know the they didn't have the um, the the they didn't feel the need to become activists some people really really wanted to learn but you know just the thought of asking a question to someone who knows the answer yeah a lot of anxiety within them that they never ask and so they learn
0: that's a tough place to be where you feel like you can't be wrong because the judgment is going to come along with being wrong is worse than just learning and yeah okay no, I actually really appreciate you sharing that. So here's the thing. Let's take away let's take away the word activism, because I don't wanna be trying to throw that here then, right? And let's just stick yeah. with the word advocate. Cause I feel like advocate versus activism, like for me it sounds like it's it's a different similarities, but they're different. And advocates like helping to promote promote a certain idea or cause. While for me when I hear activism, I almost feel like it's somewhat fighting against oppression at times. Mm. um and I might be wrong in that definition but that's just how it it sounds to me in regards to advocacy right like obviously um social media is a a big platform for where people can show their advocacy right Mm -hmm. and there are different causes within our own community and things that can begin to um be bigger than our community now affects say like uh a whole nation or different nations, international communities, right? Yeah. And I think there is a, um, a question of how much should the regular person get involved in regards to <laughs> speaking out about certain things, whether it is in an advocate way or in an activist way, how involved should they be? And I kind of wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this because um, if no one talks, the problem stays there, or we yeah. never reach the goal. If everyone talks, sometimes maybe the right person isn't being listened to or it becomes fake in in how they go about it. Mm -hmm. I wanna get your thoughts on how you see today's landscape online in regards to people being either activists or advocates. What do you think our responsibility is? Is there a line? Is it just doing what's on your heart? How do you see it?
1: Um, I think there, yeah. we need to appreciate people's capacities, I think more, and we need to be gracious in that regard, because um, a lot of people are trying, a lot of people who speak on these, you know, tough issues are like their heart really is there, but you you can almost tell, <clears throat> some people are really good at hiding it, but you can almost tell when someone's advocacy or um or, um, or activism, sorry, is um, performative, right? Mm. So those who, like, I mean, the common traits for those who are quite performative in their um, advocacy or activism, you know, they do, they just follow the trends where, you know, uh, people are posting black squares. I'm going to post a black square just so, you know, I don't get called out for blah, 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 Yeah. right? But those who what 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 I guess separates those who are performative and those who are not is that their advocacy or their stance on that particular um, issue moves beyond social media Mm, yeah because social media is a front (laughs) it is (laughs) the biggest front you know Um, it's literally money laundering for, you know, our, for social issues. I've never heard anyone put it that way. That's
0: such an interesting way to put it. Money laundering for, okay.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a money laundering for social issues where, you know, um, you act as if, you know, you are, uh, the one who is standing with the oppressed, um, and, you know, as long as you're seeing it and as long as you've posted on social media, no one's ever gonna know, <laughs> like, how will they know? <laughs> so it's. <laughs> but um, for me, I think that's what I struggled with as well because I, me knowing myself and thinking that, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm performative in my activism or in my advocacy, Um, I completely, there was a period where I stepped off social media, I completely stopped posting about any social issues, because I felt that, you know what, what people see on social media is how they, is is the picture that they paint of you, right? Mm. So if they see you post about, you know, women's rights and Black Lives Matter, they're like, okay, she's an advocate for those two causes um and as well as like her profile we can tell she's an artist she's this she's that but I didn't want to be defined by my social media so for me I wanted to have the peace in knowing that in my everyday life I am doing the things and I'm saying the things and I'm Mm. doing what I say in real life to to either further the cause um, further certain causes rather than just posting it on social media so that everyone can see that I'm doing that. Yeah. And so I think regardless, people are going to have, you know, um, assumptions of you via your social media platforms. But I think for me, I had to, I had to do that deep emotional work for myself to be okay with whatever anyone said about me on social media and just know that in my heart although I'm not posting about something I'm still doing it offline and no one needs to know about it no one needs to know my business I'm I became that person where I'm just like you know what I know my business those who see me just doing things they see me doing things if you don't see me doing things don't worry about it it's it's not it may not be for you to see so yeah yeah
0: yeah, no, that's such an interesting thing. I think um, from, from what I'm hearing you addressing, like the idea of like, almost like that fake advocacy or fake activism, that people just throw it up online and they may not be living in their real life or now people will now paint you as just that when there's so much more to you than just that area, right? Okay. Um, and that's such a such a true thing. I think the, the other thing as well that I was very curious about was uh almost like yeah where does where does someone's actual responsibility lie because not even like doing it on social media but I mean like even in just being about it in your own real life because I remember when um when George Floyd incident happened and the Black Lives Matter movement was you know getting more momentum and yeah people were posting black squares and all these things I went on my Facebook and I put up a big post about like I saw a lot of division a lot of energy that which was obviously everyone was seeing at that time and i was saying how like look if you if you want to be promoting supporting right now thank you and i also said but um you know if you're not i would really encourage you to do so because what i realize is you know what may not affect you today may affect you tomorrow Mm -hmm. right and i i truly believe that right and then i i thought to myself like hey if you're going to be saying this stuff Now you got to be about it, right? Because life doesn't end with just George Floyd now, right? Now we're seeing the Afghanistan situation. You're Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, whether it's um, natural disasters in different areas, um, Hong Kong or whatever else is going on in the world. And it's like, okay, are you keeping that same energy when it's not about your own community? Exactly. Kind of thing. And I thought to myself, I'm like, the world is bigger. It's probably too big for me to be involved in everything, right? Yeah,
1: that's the exhausting part about it
0: that's the exhausting part about it right but it's relevant and relevant enough that there are certain things that are bigger than me that I should be a part of and almost the challenge I have now is trying to find out where what are my battles to get involved in you know and have you ever yeah, have you been wrestling with that same idea of like, what are the battles that you feel like are worth fighting that you should be involved in, whether they're in your community or not in your community? Because I feel like a lot of people ask that same question and it's hard to answer at times.
1: It is really hard to answer because I mean, like we naturally are quite selfish. Like- Yeah human nature like we're, we we think about ourselves it's survive like we're we're in a game of survival right so whatever benefits us whatever um is our agendas our community's agendas is what put, is in our hearts first and what <coughs> we put into first so that's not something to be ashamed of and I never ever ever want to shame someone for you know only being about their cause and not anyone else's but what we need to understand is that if our cause harms someone else or harms another community, that's not a cause we should be fighting for and we should be standing with, right? But then in terms of picking your battles and knowing your capacity like, there are so many, like, we need to realize that there are so many ways to be involved and so many ways to stand up for something Mm. that, you know, not everyone has money to be giving to all these courses and that's okay. Yeah. Find out another way that you can help. Mm. Not everyone has, um, like, not, not everyone has, you know, the confidence to stand up in front of a crowd and address, you know, a certain issue. Not everyone has, the the time to you know travel overseas and you know build houses and things like that so for us we just need to i think everyone has a responsibility to humanity to do their best right mm. and so for me in my case where you know i have like for example i have a friend whose parents are stuck in lebanon at the moment right um, Although for me, little old me in Sydney, Australia, who feels like she has nothing to do for you know the what's happening in Lebanon and what's happening in Afghanistan and um, and what's happening across the world, there are still some like small things that I can do. Mm. Like I can get in contact with my friend, see if his parents have any connections with anyone on the ground in Lebanon that mm. um, that you know need money or need clothing or need whatever so that then I can say okay through that let me go into my networks and see who I can then um, mobilize to then help this cause yeah and although I'm not putting in money I'm not putting anything physical into this because I have nothing physical to give or nothing tangible to give but the time that I'm putting to really bring these connections together and bring my networks into the fold Mm. is still a form of Advocacy or activism, right? So, we all have that general, like, you know, foundational responsibility to do our best and do what we can for humanity and for our communities. But I think what intimidates people from starting or from, you know, aligning themselves with too many causes is that they feel like they have to give so much of themselves. And, but the thing is, like, a little bit is okay. Like, if, Mm. like, really, really, it's okay. Like, if, if it's only one dollar you can give, you know, I'm sure, like, if 2,000 people give a dollar, that's $2,000 they can help the cause. Wow, yeah. And that's not nothing, mm. right? So, yeah, I think if we, we... I think we get so caught up in the, the magnitude of the, yeah. of, of the events or the magnitude of the issue that we feel so helpless... And we forget that as a collective, we can conquer a lot. Like, I mean, even in the case of, you know, coronavirus and the um and the and the vaccines, sorry to turn this into like a first world problem, but um even with that, like I mean, there are some people who are actually really scared that they will not be able to work because like they they feel like there is gonna be a mandate on the vaccine, right? And so um, for my sister, for example, in her company, it's either she fires people or she lays people off because they can't, they, they, they actually cannot get the vaccine. And their doctors are refusing to give them whatever documentation that they need to let, you know, officials or whoever know that they are not uh, medically capable of getting the vaccine at this stage. Right. Mm-hmm. So, even in that, like, I mean, we feel like our, sometimes we feel our government is so out of reach. And so um, like un- like we're not able to contact them, but we really can, right? Yeah. Like my sister, just a little old, she's not little or old, but this this woman who just lives in the corner of Oran Park in her house, minding her own business, she was able to even just start a little petition that was then able to change a few things and change a few laws in order for some people to at least um, get the advice that they need in regard to the vaccine. And that might seem really small, but that is going to pave the way for bigger things. And so if we look at that framework, and we apply that to activism, to larger, I guess, um, issues and how we can kind of be a part of the mm. puzzle there is there's still a lot that we can do
0: uh, that's such a beautiful thing for us to to conclude on because one is it, people would say think big think small like you don't need to go to a 100 you can just do something that's that's tiny but as a collective that can go a long way and um yeah no I think that was so powerful as well like even the idea of like okay you may not feel like you can go so far outside of your, you know, community, but even like your family and friends, that's like your immediate network. That might be one that you're much more capable and comfortable of, of utilizing. And no, nah, I, I love the point you made. Like, don't you, don't, you don't have to think like massive, feel free to think small and even utilizing family and friends rather than trying to like save the whole world at once. That is playing its part in itself. I love that.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, you've given us so much joy today. You've given me so much joy today. Going through all <laughs> who are you to be, you're a spy. I'm a real estate agent in Japan. All these kind of things. Um, you is there anything you want to like plug before you go? Because I know even though, um, I know you have a hats in a lot of different arenas. And if in case there is anything going on that you just want to do share with the people, I just want to give you the opportunity. Otherwise, we'll wrap up.
1: Um, I, yeah, there's a lot going on, but I would say, um, definitely follow the young Nigerian youth association, which is starting to come up and really starting to, I guess, uh, do some stuff in the community, um, and, and, uh, and advance, you know, um, I guess, cultural educational, cultural awareness and, the collective of you know African Australians here in Sydney um NGN wait oh my goodness I've forgotten the Instagram
0: <laughs> NGN. Oh, NGN. It. Uh, probably, it's at NGN isn't it or
1: yeah at NGN.sydney yeah,
0: um, at yeah, NGN. Sydney.
1: yeah so you can Sydney find Sydney. us in Instagram nice. and on Facebook um and uh I'm part of an arts collective called Afro Sisters as well that is sisters Spelled Mm. S-I-S-T-A-H-S. So we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. And uh, we've been been laying low for a little bit. Um, We haven't been really active on the socials, but we have been very active in real life, which is really exciting. So um, follow us on there to keep updated. And I have my newly created creative page, um, chi.thecreative as well um posts are coming they are lined up there's nothing on there yet but <laughs> they are coming
0: yeah i'm already following it i love it i love it yeah in fact i might quickly just do a quick share screen just so we can go through those in case they're trying to figure out the the different um things for it so got chi the creative afro sisters and ngn too easy That's it. <sighs> all right um in that case then thank you all for listening to another episode of the coach by experience until next time i'll see you soon